morning, everyone. Glad you're here. I hope you had a great week, and uh, hope you have a great week coming up. I know that it's uh, always some things get thrown at you that you don't expect, but we have a good God that's with us and the Spirit that guides us through all of those times. My son is uh, supposed to be preaching this morning in Cairnport, Saskatchewan, and last night he was driving home from Alberta through a blizzard, had to pull off the road to stop in swift current, couldn't make it, and this morning at some point he had to leave early enough to preach two services in Cairnport, so I'm thinking, you know, you don't count on those things happening, but you press on, and we're just praying that he made it there and he's able to give God's word as his papa is in Maple Ridge today. Would you bow with me as we, uh, as we begin our message time today? Father God, this is your day. You set apart for us to bring glory to you, to honor you with our lives. We pray, Father, that uh, we would have seen your hand at work in this past week, that we uh, will see your hand at work again in the week ahead, and that we can be right in the middle of your activity. Uh, pray, Father, you can count on us when you need someone to step in to bring a word of hope or grace or truth or comfort, that we would be your person. That anytime we'd be ready to be uh, called up into service for your glory, for your purposes. I pray, God, that you would reveal to us what's on your heart in Romans chapter 5 today, that we would see you in a new way, and we would see ourselves and um, as you see us, uh, loved and co-heirs with Christ in your kingdom. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we are all the way into chapter 5 now in the book of Romans, and uh, marching ahead, there are 16 chapters, and uh, 16 fun-filled uh, chapters of interesting theology, doctrine, and teachings, and we take these things and try to make sense and apply them to our life. And so one thing about a, a letter that Paul writes, Paul, in Romans particularly, shows us his training, his education, that he is learned, that he knows how to put an argument together, he knows how to apply it. And so not only do we see uh, the information that Paul is trying to, to teach the churches, in what we call doctrine, and another word for doctrine is teaching. It's just what he wants us to know, the foundational truths that we need to know as Christians and how to, how to keep on the same page as a church. So, you know, members of this church, you are the keepers of the doctrine. You are the ones that help us to stay on track with what we believe. And, and when you know your doctrines, you know your teachings, you're, you're less likely to be taken off track or down a rabbit trail or down off the road and get derailed in your faith because you're solid in what you, what you know. And so we're, you know, this year we're looking at trying to incorporate more and more teachings of what do you believe amongst the teenagers, the young adults, the adults, the new Christians. What do you believe? And how do you know when someone is teaching you false doctrine? So today we're looking at, in fact, you know, when I was thinking through the books of, of, of Paul, the letters to the churches, um, <laughs> I'm getting some strange things on the back wall. When I'm looking at Paul's letters to the churches, I realize that probably most of our church doctrine, what we believe, comes from his letters to the churches, the teachings that he gives. Uh, and so if you go on the Christian and Missionary Alliance uh, website for Canada, you'll find 11 doctrines there, 11 core beliefs of what, what we stand for as a denomination. If you go to our church website, it'll be the same doctrines. And so we're, we want to make sure that you're solid, and that's partly why we're looking at Romans, because it helps us 
to see what Paul wanted the churches to be, how he wanted them to be grounded. On the uh, CMMA website, it says, what we believe determines what we value, and what we value determines how we live. So what you believe determines your behavior, and that's what's really important. Uh, And that's what Paul's trying to get at in this book. So the other thing about these doctrines, that they are foundational, they're life-transforming, they're non-negotiable, God-revealed, and spiritual realities, they don't need to be upgraded. They don't need to be modified or clarified. They just are. They always have been and they always will be. These are the non-negotiables of our faith. So when Paul comes in to teach the church in Rome about special things that they need to know, he does a couple of things. First of all, he starts off by addressing the, uh, the dominant issues of the day. And we talked about this in chapter 1. He's looking at hypocrisy. And he's looking at legalism. And so he deals with those, and he, and he goes into the historical backgrounds of why uh, these things are important uh, to, to overcome and to put aside. Uh, he gives us the biblical and historical evidence to reorient the church to the truth of the gospel message. And he's dispelling the erroneous and false narratives to which the church had been following. So not only is he teaching us what we need to know, but at the same time, he's, he's putting aside the falseness and the... The, the misunderstandings uh, that people hold on to, erroneously, they come to these conclusions. And so he's just trying to bring correction. And then the next thing, he starts to go to the next issues and take, takes time to apply the truth in our life. And then he picks up, okay, let's go on to the next thing. And the next thing and the next thing for 16 chapters. And so right now, four chapters worth of teaching, he's going to take a bit of a breather So to speak, he's going to stop the arguments. He's putting forth a lot of different perspectives. And then he starts off with, therefore. In other words, la-da-da-da-da, therefore, la-da-da-da-da. So you can quote me on that. (laughs) Several therefores in this particular chapter. In fact, he's reiterating several key concepts in chapter 5 that are crucial to the Christian belief system, to our faith in, in, in Christ. So he starts off in Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, because he just talked about the law and how it doesn't work, it never really worked, it was really to point to Christ. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about the doctrine of salvation. How do we we become, become saved? And it's always, again, by faith through Christ. So here's a question. Are you at peace with God? Are you, are you at peace with God today? Can you sit there and going, yeah, me and God are okay. We're, we're on talking terms. We're like, like best friends. We're like mutual supporters. I've been able to hand my problems over to God and, and trust him that he knows what's best for me. I've been able to, even though the, the, the world seems murky right now and there's a lot of darkness going on, I can trust that he holds the future in his hands. I have placed my faith in him, and I'm not going to budge from that. So how do you know, as it says in verse 1, it says, since we've been justified by faith, how do you know that your faith is good to go? How do you know if you have been justified by faith? I know when a when I was at kids' camp, when, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 15 years old, they taught, they taught us how to pray a prayer of salvation. How do you, 
confess your sin, how you repent, how you ask Jesus into your heart. And, um, and a lot of people have done that over the years. But sometimes we say it a prayer, but that didn't necessarily change our heart. Sometimes we say words, but we don't really know the depth of those words, what they mean. And so you, you grow up in the church. You, you learn about salvation. You learn about what's going on in, in what Paul is trying to teach here today. So the question is, how do you know if that prayer you prayed or that moment when you were at that revival meeting or you were moved by the Spirit of God to come to the front maybe and, and pray with someone to receive Christ, how do you know if that is considered by God good enough or justified or you have become righteous in his sight? The answer comes in Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at that later on in about three weeks from now. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. In other words, when the Holy Spirit is in you, you're good to go. You passed the test in the sense. Your faith has been considered good enough in God's eyes. You came to him with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength, sought him, asked him to forgive your sins. You, you, you accepted the gift of God. We're going to talk about this today, of salvation. And he, in response, poured out his spirit into you. That's how you know that you're saved, if you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's a guarantee. It says, through him, in verse 2, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Your faith got a hold of God's grace, and you're now in a position of righteousness before him. He's declared you to be righteous because your faith has, has, has brought about his grace into your life. And he says, and we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I'll read that verse 2 again. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. A friend of mine named Larry has uh, early onset Alzheimer's, and my son met him uh, in a memory project that he did in grade 10 seven years ago. And my son videotaped five DVDs of Larry's life, going back way to the childhood and memories. Because when he started to lose his memory, he wouldn't be able to put the DVD in and remember his parents and his siblings and his marriage and all these kinds of things. Larry uh, is breathing his last breaths probably today. And he's about to see the hope of the glory of God. He put his faith in God years ago. And God applied grace to Larry. And uh, I got to be Larry's pastor for about four years. And uh, I went to see him this week. And I look at him, and he's not much left of Larry uh, these days. But he's surrounded by his loved ones, by believing Christians. And we know that he, <laughs> we're a bit jealous that he gets to see Jesus first. To go ahead and to wait. He gets to see his teenage son that was killed in a car accident. He he gets to see the friends that have gone before. They're sharing in the hope of God's glory right now, and Larry gets to be there too soon. So what is this glory of God? Well, it's our endless inheritance as heirs together with Christ. 
Usually an inheritance comes to us when someone else dies. But it's kind of the opposite here, that we get the inheritance when we die. We have, to, we have to expire here on earth in order to get what's been waiting for us. For God's been preparing for us. And Jesus said, I'm, i got to go away because I'm preparing a place for you. That's when we get the inheritance. We get to experience it. So we take care of our family. We, we take care of our RSPs. We take care of our cars and our homes and our friends and our parents and our kids. We try to take care of our bodies. But we better not forget to take care of our souls. Because in the end, that's the one thing that's going to matter. And this, this chapter is saying, by faith, you get to receive God's grace. And then you get the hope of glory. Not only, he says, do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we rejoice in our sufferings, verse 3. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, which we read earlier today. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So it's interesting. We, we, we start from the hope in God's glory. Then we... We head on to sufferings, uh, which, which brings about uh, development in our character. Let me get the thing, let me get it right here. Rejoices in our sufferings, which produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope all over again. It's like it's this big cycle that we start from the standpoint of hope. We, we face our sufferings knowing that we have hope that God will help us through this time. And then we get endurance because we, the more we understand how God helps us through these tough times, the more we can stand by faith in his presence and watch him do his work. And the endurance changes our character, which helps us to be more Christ-like. And then that ends up in hope all over again. It's kind of like it's a continuous cycle throughout our whole life. Hope from hope to hope. And suffering, character, and endurance in between. <laughs> so you just kind of expect it. So this, this, this trouble or these sufferings, we often mistake these things for God's punishment or his displeasure with us when actually an inherent characteristic of suffering is to cause us to draw closer to God, to depend more on him. So Matthew 16, 24 says, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, let's see how we do here. You must first deny yourself, second, take up your cross, and third, follow him. So before the following happens, you have to do some self-denial, and you have to take up a cross, and a cross is all about suffering. Jesus knew that in this world, we were going to have tribulation, we're going to have troubles, but he says, don't worry, I have overcome the world. I, I, I demonstrated that when I resurrected from the dead, and when I rose again, Death had no, has, has no sting anymore. Death, don't worry about it. I've got you in my hands. Through suffering, we get to see God at work in and through and around us because our eyes are so focused on how we're going to get through this, how we're going to manage, how we're going to cope, and we get to see God in new ways, working things together for our good. Through suffering, we get to trust God in new ways. Uh, okay, so financially, uh, got to get a new car, got to get money for my kid to get through, through, through university, uh, got a health issue. Any, any new thing that comes up that we face that is a challenge in our life, it's another opportunity to see God at work. It's another chance to see how we can trust God in a new way. And so through suffering also, we get to identify with Christ. Peter 
throws a comment in here, 1 Peter 4.13, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And Paul, uh, he, somehow he got a grasp on the sufferings of Christ idea because he says in Philippians 3.10 that I may, he wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And he throws this line in here. And I want to, I want to know the, the fellowship of his sufferings. And the word fellowship there is koinonia in Greek, and it means partnership, or that also means communion. When we take up communion here at the church, we are partnering with Christ. It's, it's fellowshipping with him. And Paul says, I want to fellowship with his sufferings. Why? He says in 2 Corinthians 1.5, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. So if you found a little ring on the sidewalk, and it probably has one of those, maybe we'll call it a glass diamond in it, it's probably worth about $7 at dollar store. Uh, it might look pretty, but if you set it next to the $3,000 ring that you've been saving money for for maybe months or years, Maybe this ring you're going to give to someone special. And you hold the two rings. They're both rings. They're both round. They both got sparkly things on them. But one, one you had to work for. Maybe you put 20 bucks away each week towards purchasing. You, 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 you had the dream out there. You had the goal. And you worked hard. You saved the money. You denied yourself other things so that you could have this ring. Which one is more valuable to you? What's the one you worked hard for? The one you maybe you suffered a little bit for. You, you did without for. So I think the way I see the sufferings is sometimes if we get something cheap, we don't value it. Sometimes if we don't have to work for it, if we don't have to go through any, any difficulties to achieve something. I mean, university is four years of suffering. <laughs> you know, you finally get out and you get your degree, you're holding up your hand and going, I probably didn't even need half those classes I took. You know, and all that tuition and all that angst in the papers and late at night and all through the night studying for those exams and on and on and on it goes. I'm finally done. You know, if you just, you know, went into uh, the, the school, wrote a little test and said, yeah, that's good enough. Here's your degree. There's not really no investment in that. And I, what I see, the sharing in the sufferings of Christ is like our investment in our future, in our glory. And so glory, when we finally achieve that, is so much more valuable and meaningful to us because we've been We've been putting in our time, and we've been, we've been working hard. We've been being faithful. We've been showing up. We've been participating in God's activity. We've been allowing him to take us places we never would have dreamed. And sometimes it costs us a lot. Uh, I, I lost my hearing in my left ear, a virus I got while I was in, coming uh, from India back home. And uh, all of a sudden, I couldn't hear for a week. And when the virus left my ear... Most of my hearing was gone. And I, I don't consider that necessarily suffering, but sometimes there's a price to pay when you're obedient to God. Sometimes there's a sacrifice involved. There's other things. You know, if you've been on the mission field, you know you're, you sacrifice family. You don't get to see your, maybe your grandkids or your kids so much. There's, there's things involved in service in God's kingdom that I think make our glory that's waiting for us so much more meaningful and, and valuable uh, for us when we achieve that. 
And so verse 5, it says, this hope, it does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So by faith, we come into his grace. So God has looked at us, found us faithful to him, crying out to him. He determined our faith is to be worthy. He declares that we are righteous. And then he delivers the Holy Spirit into our hearts to deluge us with his love. This word uh, pour out, that's like overwhelm. It's a del- I like the word deluge because it starts with a D. So he determined our faith is worthy. He declares us to be righteous. He delivers the Holy Spirit and gives us a deluge of his heart, uh, of his love into our heart. This is a teaching about the doctrine of salvation. It's a teaching about how the Holy Spirit is used to come in, into our life and empower us and show us God's great love. In verse 6, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for the righteous person, though perhaps a good person, one would dare to even die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Colossians 1.21 says, And you who were in the past were cut off and at war with God in your minds through evil works, has now, he is now reconciled. This word enemy uh, being far from it, it's actually a pretty bad word. It's like, you, while you hated God, while you were uh, his foe, he, he died for you. And he says, verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, again, the word means hostile, hatred, foe, We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I call this the, uh, but wait, there's more section. You remember the TV commercials? Look what you can get, this, these knives. It's like, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Not only do you get this set, you get a completely second set and a, and a third set just in case you need three sets of knives. Well, then Paul, he's, in this chapter, he's saying, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, but much more, not just justified, we're going to be saved by him from the wrath of God. And he continues verse 10, for if while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, well, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. But more than that, even in verse 11, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we receive reconciliation. It's like, you don't even understand how much you get. You place your faith in Christ. You keep getting more and more and more. What I realized is that we don't get more love of God when we become a Christian because I don't think he could love us more. But I think we get access to so much more of his uh, blessings, his guidance, his power, his spirit. Everything starts, the door just starts opening wide that we can experience so much more. You know, I was thinking about, you know, walking by the nursery. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of cute kids in there. And, you know, you can... You can look through the window and uh, admire the babies, and oh, that's a cute one. Oh, there's another, yeah. And you, you know, you protect them, you care for them. And, um, but when your grandkid 
gets in the nursery. Your son or your daughter, you walk by and you go, oh, your, your heart just kind of melts. And, you, you know, that one's special. You know, that one belongs to me. And you, you would do anything. You would give your life for that kid. I kind of see that with God. He's saying, like, I love all of them. But when someone turns their heart and gives their life and honors me and is faithful and cries out to me, it's like, that one, that one I will do anything for. That one I will bring, I send my spirit, I'll pour out my love into their heart, I'll protect them, I'll, I'll guide them, I'll, I'll take care of them because they've cried out to me. They belong to me. Therefore, another therefore. He keeps coming up with these therefores in verse 12. Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because of all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those sinning was, uh, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Complicated verse. Let's just, let's just say the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.23 or 6.23? Which one? So, ah, look it up. <laughs> so Adam's sin at the very beginning brought death to all humanity. Uh, th- this verse is saying that people aren't experiencing death because they broke the law. They're saying they experienced death because Adam sinned and brought death into the world. His sin ruined it for everyone. Yet, we're still all accountable for our own sin, even though we were born into sin because of Adam. And he's going to go on to say that the free gift, verse 15, is not like this trespass of Adam's, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace of that one man, Jesus Christ. It abounded for many. And this free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, Adam, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Another complicated verse. He's comparing uh, Adam's sin that brought death to everybody and Christ. A sacrifice that brought life to everyone. But it's not really in the same league. Adam messed up as a human being. Messed it up for all of us. And Jesus came and said, okay, you, you do this, but let me just show you how much more grace can be effective. How much more I can deal with your sin. There's no sin that you can do that my grace isn't sufficient, sufficient to meet, to take care of, to forgive. If you're willing to repent, any, any sin you, you do, and not only that, I, I've not only defeated, uh, I can forgive your sin, I've defeated death itself. You no longer have to actually die. Uh, Adam's sin brought death, and like, that's all he could do. He couldn't do anything about it. Jesus walks in and says, watch what I can do. I'm going to become the sacrifice for everybody. I'm going to give my life for many. I'm going to make salvation available to everyone who chooses to believe in me. This free gift. What do you mean free gift? Aren't gifts free? No. Most gifts given, okay, so we had a birthday dinner this last week or yesterday, and there were gifts given. The gift was given because it was their birthday and we liked the person. And so... um, they were all handed out cards with monies and that kind of thing. And, uh, but a lot of gifts are earned or deserved or because you are a special person. Um, we got some lovely cookies delivered to the office this week, probably because I'm such a, an amazing person, but <laughs> more likely because maybe they're to encourage, keep, keep going, Pastor. Keep, you know, maybe these will help sustain you as you prepare your messages. 
But it was a nice gift to get. But I got the gift because I'm the pastor. I don't think the same person necessarily would take the, the box of cookies and hand them to a stranger on the sidewalk. Like there's an attachment. Uh, there's a reason for, for most gifts given. But a free gift means you didn't do a blessed thing to earn that gift. It wasn't because you're special. It's not because you worked hard. It's not because you were faithful. It's nothing about you, actually, at all. The free gift is offered because it's nature of God. He's love. He wants to offer something to people who were his enemies, who were his foes, who hated him. He's saying, here you go. Even though you hate my guts, I'm going to offer this to you. This is salvation. This is eternal life. I'm going to forgive your sins. And there's no sin that you can do that I can't manage. In verse 20, he says that. When you have a good God who cares about us. You know, I was thinking about humanity this week, particularly because of all the news casts going on, the stories that we're reading. And uh, there's a philosophy out there that talks about human nature. And, you know, I, I, don't, I personally don't think it's changed much since Adam and Eve. I think it's kind of the same. It really, I mean, we've evolved in technology, we've evolved with democracy, we, we evolved in medicine, we evolved in society and social stuff, but at our core, it seems like human nature is just the same as it always was. What happened with the, the next generation of, after Adam and Eve? Murder. Like, what is that? The, their kids are killing each other. How does that happen? Well, it's not a lot different today, I don't think, when I look at the disasters, I look at mankind, people think, people think that we're getting better and better and better. I'm going, well, just hold on. <laughs> you know, the First World War was called the war to end all wars, wasn't it? I mean, how did there become a second one then, <laughs> if that was supposed to end all? And after the Second World War, like, never again! Well, okay, so in the 70 years, 77 years since the end of World War II, we've had the Vietnam, Korea, Cuban Missile Crisis, Kosovo, Palestinian Conflict, Suez Crisis, Gulf War, Falklands War, Bosnian War, Afghanistan War, Iraq War, Syrian Conflict, ISIS Insurgency, Genocides in Cambodia, Bangladesh, Rwanda, Uganda, Darfur, East Timor, Yugoslavia, Rohingyas in Myanmar, Yazidis in Iraq, and the Uyghur Crisis in China. Since, like, what? I don't think humanity is getting better. It's just more of the same. We need a Savior. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're not excluded from this list. We were lumped into the enemies of God, those that were his foes. And he's, he's holding out this free gift to say, even in spite of your sin, you can have eternal life. For if, in verse 17, one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more, again, much more, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, another therefore, verse 18, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will become righteous. And I would say salvation is available to all, but not all people choose it. Not all people want to be saved. Not all people want to kneel before Jesus and thank him for the, his sacrifice on the cross. They want to live life on their own terms, be their own God, be their own boss right to the end. And there won't be a hope of glory waiting for them. So look at this, uh, this slide. 
as we come near to the end of the message, through Adam, there was death and condemnation, trespasses and judgment. Through Christ came life and justification, grace and righteousness. So they're similar that one man impacted all of, the, all of mankind, and God had to bring a correction. He, he needed to bring a solution, and he brought his son, Jesus Christ, as the one to pay the penalty for our sin. So in verse 20, it says, now the law came to increase the trespass, which means the law demonstrated how lawless people were. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the same. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. No sin too great. Grace overcomes, overpowers, and overwhelms all of our sins. So Julia Johnson, and some of you uh, may know this, this song, wrote a poem 100 years ago that was set to music, and many, many churches have faithfully sung this song over the years, but I like the words as a reminder of what Paul is saying in this verse. First verse says, Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace will pardon and cleanse within. God's grace is greater than all of our sin. The last two verses say this. Sin and despair, like the sea waves cold, threaten the soul with infinite loss. But grace that is greater, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross, and marvelous, infinite, matchless grace freely bestowed on all who believe. And here's the question. All who are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? It's a free gift, but you actually have to take it. You actually have to receive the free gift. It's still sitting in his hand for many people. They've, they've seen what goes on in churches, they've heard the gospel message. They're not quite sure. The, the free gift is still sitting in God's hands, being offered to those who would submit their lives into his hands. Why do you need to know this? Why do you need to know about chapter 5? Well, because we want your soul to be safe. We want you to experience God's grace. We don't want you to be intimidated by suffering either. Suffering can bring about amazing things in our life. And it, it's not a bad thing. It's just part of life that God wants to walk with us through. Why do we need to know this? Because we want to fully understand the need for a Savior. There's only one person that can bring salvation, and that's Jesus. So I want you to bow your heads. I'm just going to say a few more things, and we're going to have a time of prayer and um, worship but I want to invite anyone here in this room today or listening at home to ask yourself if you have the saving faith of Abraham, that life-transforming, life-altering belief in God. Have you actually wholeheartedly received the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers to you? And when the suffering comes, will you be able to rejoice in the hope of God's glory or will you think God to be cruel, unkind, and uncaring? God is waiting to pour out his love into your heart through his Holy Spirit if you are willing to take a step towards his love today. Father God, if there's anyone who has not experienced your grace, has not been set free by the presence of your Holy Spirit, who doesn't understand just 
the incredible love that will be poured out into their hearts. I pray today that that would happen, that we would find someone, whether at home or in the auditorium here today, that would trust you with their future, with their life, their circumstances, that would surrender their life into your hands to find that amazing relationship that all of those who have placed their faith in Christ know about. May this day be the one where people are set free because of your presence, because of the powerful message of your gospel, the love that you have to offer us through your spirit and the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for this day, for a reminder of your great love, for a reminder that you are with us through the suffering and brings more hope, and for a reminder that we have glory waiting, that this is not all there is to life. We're just scratching the surface. All eternity awaits those who want to walk with Jesus, turn their lives into his hands. I pray this in Christ's name, amen.